Recorded by The Way in Brea. Lead pastor Von Jarrett has a heart for the people at The Way and a desire to reach the lost. The Way's production department prays this message is a blessing to you and that you find yourself closer to God through application. Alright, amen. Good morning, everybody. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. We got uh, to stop doing so much stuff, man. We got an hour worth of announcements and graduations and, man. But it's good to see that God is doing a lot in this church, amen? amen. In all of our lives and in the ministries, um, just uh, God's up to something. And, and uh, I think sometimes looking back on, on some of the things that God has done, we've tried to do a better job of showing you um, uh, PowerPoints and showing you videos and taking testimonies and, and showing uh, what God is, is actually doing on a day-to-day -day basis in our church. And, and uh, I kind of wanted to start there this morning and, and take you back uh, a few years. This post is from three years ago. We all, we all love it when Facebook tells us, sends us these little reminders so even this morning, I got this reminder from three years ago, but it's actually referencing something from now 13 years ago. As you can see here, it says, um, from October 22nd, 2014, it says, 10 years ago today, I cried out in desperation from a spiritually dark place, asking God to make himself real to me and to help me, and he did. Jesus is not only real, but he is God, and he is alive and well. I want to say more, but the simple truth is enough. So that's something that I posted on this day three years ago that took place on this day uh, 13 years ago. I was at a major crossroads uh, in my personal life. And for the first time ever, I actually cried out to God and asked him to come into my life, right? Even though my personal circumstances were uh, very difficult um, and very dramatic, my state of mind and, and what I was thinking, what I was feeling, where I was at that point in my life was very, very dramatic, but the actual asking God into my life was not dramatic at all. I just literally said, God, if you're real, I need you to be real for me. I need you to come into my life. I need you to help me. I need you to save me. Whatever it is that, that you can do, I need you to do that. So, it was October 22nd, 2004. It was a Friday night. And uh, on that next day, the Saturday, I don't remember anything really dramatic. You know, it wasn't like uh, uh, I could see the world differently or I felt a whole lot different um, or um, as if I could maybe hear God in a different way since I hadn't heard him before. There really wasn't much going on at all that very next day on that Saturday. But on Sunday, October 24th, I truly felt God come into my life. I knew that he had heard me when I cried out on the Friday before, um, and I knew that I had been forgiven and born again. It was all these things in a matter of literally 
three days um, of taking place on Friday, going out and asking God to come in on Saturday, nothing really happening. And then on Sunday, feeling the presence of God and feeling forgiveness and feeling that things had started over. I know now that I had been born again uh, and that I had a new life that I was going to begin to, to live. But it's, it's often by looking back in hindsight at what you were going through, you get understanding. You get revelation. You get clarity on what it is that God was doing in your life and what it is that he's doing even today in other people's lives. Um, the best way that I can explain it to you guys this morning is that God had, had somehow gotten into my mind and into my heart. I was happy to have him, but I didn't really know how he did that. How do you get into somebody's heart and how do you get into somebody's mind? But uh, I know that that's what kind of happened to me. So this week... Week number four of our series, The Invasion, uh, today we're going to look at the invasion of the heart and mind. The invasion of the heart and mind. So we're kind of coming full circle in our, in our series. Uh, this could have uh, been week one of our series instead of, instead of week four. In week one, we looked at the invasion of the nation, how God changes your whole worldview, your whole culture, uh, your whole way of life, right? He just invades the whole nation, the whole country. In week two, we looked at the invasion of the home. We talked about how God comes into your home and he brings help. He brings health. He brings healing, right? This place that we call our home that many of us have set up as our own little personal uh, kingdom, right? It's like what you like, what you want, how you want it to feel. Are you one of the people that like dim lights or bright lights, blinds or, or open windows? Do you like fresh air? Do you like AC? You know, it's, it's your home. You created what you want it to be. And then all of a sudden, God comes and invades and it becomes his home. It becomes an embassy for the kingdom of Christ where he can do what he wants and he can have it how he wants it to be. Powerful in week number two of our series. Then last week in week number three, we looked at the invasion of privacy and personal space. God comes into non-believers' lives, and who remembers what he brings into the lives of non-believers? Anybody? Conviction. You guys must all be believers, or last week was so long ago. <laughs> so God comes in and invades your personal space, right? He invades your privacy, and he brings conviction. You're like, I wasn't even looking for you. When I look back on how I got saved, there was a, some dramatic conviction going on in my life about how I was getting high every day, how I was getting drunk every day, how I was living my life and my relationship with other people. I didn't know at the time that that's what God was doing, but he was invading my personal space. He was making me paranoid. He was making me scared. He was making me angry. He was ruining my high, doing all those things, and he was bringing conviction into my life, so I would actually cry out and say, I need help because he invades. Then in the lives of believers, what do we say that he wants to invade your personal space and privacy for to bring what into your life? Intimacy, amen. Right, he wants more and more intimacy with us, so he just comes on in and, uh, and tries to do those things with us and for us. So I say that this invasion of the heart and mind this week in week number four could have easily been uh, week number one. It's not because it's the first in a series of other things, right? So he's going to uh, invade your heart and mind, and then he's going to invade your nation so you can see it differently, and then he's going to invade your home so that it gets a little bit more personal, and then he's going to invade your personal space and your privacy, so now he's all the way in there. It's not in a progression type way that he's coming in to do those things. I'm saying that uh, the invasion of the heart and mind could have been in week one because it's foundational to all of the rest of them. And it's a part of all of the rest of the invasions that God does. I have a graph that we put together to kind of help you see what I mean here. Hit the lights in the front row if you can. 
So we have this invasion that we've been going through. We saw the invasion of the nation, we saw the, the invasion of the home, and we see the invasion of privacy. But then down here at the bottom, you have invasion of the heart and mind. It's foundational and it's a part of everything that God is doing. If you don't have God or allow God to invade your heart and invade your mind, the actual invasion of your nation, your home, your privacy will be limited. There in the blue, that's what it's like to have or to want or desire God to do these things in your worldview, to do these things in your home and with your kids and to do these things personally with you, right? Without your heart and mind being invaded, it's limited. It's like the blue. You'll see some change, and you'll see things maybe a little bit differently, but it's limited. It has to be internal. It has to be something that God is doing through you and inside of you. So in the green, what you see is that if you allow God to invade your heart and mind, you see these other areas, he has this access and this ability to increase uh, his influence in those other areas. It's part of everything. Your heart and your mind has to be invaded. You have to allow God into those areas in order to see this growth and this change and transformation in the rest of your life. Go ahead. You can hit the lights, Ray. On Wednesday night in our uh, Bible study, this last Wednesday, and uh, I'll, I'll say this real quick because Gary keeps making me feel convicted about how long we've been in Matthew. So I was like, man, how long have we been in Matthew? He talks like we've been there forever. Does anybody know how long we've been in the book of Matthew? It's almost two years. It's not January. It's almost two years. We started Matthew chapter 1 in January of 2016. Wow. <laughs> so when Mary and I were talking about it, we were talking last night, and I told her, you know what it is, though? It's not my fault. <laughs> I, said a, I said a couple of things. One, I said is... Uh, God has really been leading me for, for you guys to be able to hear more voices. So we've had other people come in and minister on Wednesday nights, including our own uh, Ray and, and Gary and some others. We'd have guest preachers come in and speak a little bit on Wednesday nights as well. Um, the other thing that I, that I told Mary, though, is that it's been 10 years since we've been in a gospel. And the gospel is so good that you're going to spend time there. When we started the church 10 years ago, we started with the book of John, John chapter 1, and that's where we started Bible study. Many of you can remember where you were when you came into the church, what book we were in. I heard David right now, he said, since I got here, we've been in Matthew. I think I remember Vanessa telling us, I think you came in Romans, right? So what's that? They came in Genesis, so you see, you see how it works. You can remember where we were in our Bible study. But 10 years ago, we went through the book of John, and we were doing like one chapter a night at least. You know, we're just kind of flying through it and, and trying to see where we could get. And now 10 years later, it takes two years to get to Matthew. Why? Because he's grown. Our understanding of who he is, our understanding of his word, how much time we want to spend on something rather than just blowing through it and blowing by it. So to, so to look up, and it's been almost two years, and to think, you know, we might hit that two-year mark before we finish it. This is all just to tell Gary to be quiet. <laughs> just kidding, man. You know I love you. But this last Wednesday night, we were in Matthew, and we were in Matthew chapter 26, and uh, we were looking at Peter's denial of Jesus. And this is the third denial. We know he says he's going to deny me three times. And this is the third denial. But listen uh, to what's actually said. Matthew 26, 73. And a little later, those who stood by came up and said to Peter, Surely you also are one of them, for your speech betrays you. Then he began to curse and swear, saying, I do not know the man. And immediately a rooster crowed. Right? So 
We all know the story. Jesus says, you're going to deny me three times before the sun rises, before the rooster crows. Peter says, no way, it'll never happen. Then he finds himself here. He's denying Christ because they're trying to associate him with Christ. And Christ is being delivered into the hands of those who have betrayed him. And he's about to be crucified. So Peter's like, no, I don't know him. I don't know him. I don't know him. And on the third time, what we focused on on Wednesday night is kind of looking at it a little bit differently, focusing on something that was positive, right? Same thing I want to look at here. Peter failed and denied the Lord, like many of us have failed. Uh, but we looked at how is it that people saw Peter? Not the people in the church, but the people in the world, right? That knew him or came across him. What did they think about Peter? What do people think about you that don't know God? When we get into the church, we love each other. We could testify about down the line each and every person and their engagement and their love for God and their uh, ability to receive the word and ability to, to be taught. But it's the people outside the world that have a pretty good perspective on who we really are. The church is kind of jaded or the church kind of sees you through the lens of, of Christ like we should. The rest of the world sees in many ways almost like the real you. So what was the real Peter? How did people look at Peter who were not part of, of God's uh, true kingdom? Verse 73, it says this. This is how the world saw Peter. Surely you also are one of them, for your speech betrays you. The way that Peter actually spoke, the words that came out of his mouth, told people that he was a follower of Christ. Your speech betrays you. You can dress like you're not a Christian. You can act like you're not a Christian. You can pretend like you're not a Christian. But as soon as you open your mouth, we know you're a follower of Christ because you sound like him and you say what he says. How amazing. Something had happened to his heart and something had happened to his mind. Right? It had been invaded by Christ. And there was nothing he could do about it. That's how he was seen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you will come into hearts. We thank you that you will come into minds. We thank you that you don't need an invitation, that you will, in many ways, will just invade that space, Lord God. We ask this morning that you would do that for many of us, Lord. Remind us of previous invasions, Lord God. And then we pray that you would have another invasion into our hearts, another invasion into our minds, that we would feel you differently, that we would see you differently, that we would understand you differently, Lord, that we would be able to track in the progression of time, Lord God, where we started with you and our understanding of who you were and who you are, Lord God, to, to maybe a decade, 10 years later, to be able to look up and say, you're so much more and there's no way that we could talk about you in such a limited amount of time. Let that be our personal testimony as much as it is the testimony of this church, Father God. We need you now more than ever, Lord God. We're more aware of how much we need you, what you're capable of, Lord God, and we're still just barely scratching the surface, God. This morning, this Sunday, in this place, Lord God, we ask that you would have your way and invade. Everything belongs to you, Lord. We own nothing, God. Have your way. We love you and thank you. In the name of Jesus, amen. 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 So remember the graph. Ray, you can put it back up there. So you have this graph. You can talk like a Christian, but it can be limited if your heart and mind have not truly been invaded by the living God. So it'll look like the blue area, right? Oh, you say the right things, and you're always talking about prayer, but we all know as soon as you go through something, you're not a prayer warrior. And as soon as you go through something, you're not filled with the Spirit of God because you start acting like a heathen. So we see the blue, and you talk the right talk, but you don't really walk the right walk. And when somebody's really in need, you're not really there for them with something of substance and value and actual help. Wow. 
It's a surface level Christianity that has not truly been invaded and permeated by God and the Spirit of God and the things of God. Amen. Right? Or you can talk like a Christian because the Lord has actually come in and done some miraculous work within you. Right? The challenge is it doesn't always look obvious. In Peter's situation, it looked like it was surface deep. It looked like uh, it wasn't real. It looked like there was no real substance, even though the people said your speech betrays you. Right? He looked like he was a denier. He looked like he didn't have any real strong faith. But we know if you follow the progression and you give it time to play out, it was real. And it was deep. And it was in him. So you can't really judge by just that one experience. you got to judge over the course of time. Right? Peter, if you were to judge Peter over the course of time, it turns out that it was real and there was a miraculous work that had been done inside of him. Jeremiah chapter 31 verse 33 says, God says, this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. These are the words of God. These are the promises of God. This isn't what I want to tell you to make you feel good. God says, listen, I want to be their God. I'm going to actually write my laws on their hearts and put them into their minds. This isn't something that's just going to, uh, uh, that you can create. He says, I'm going to do that in you because I'm entering into covenant with this person. In Luke chapter 6, verse 45, it says, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart, say heart, heart. brings forth good. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart, say heart, heart, brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Right. Out of the good comes good. Out of the evil comes evil. And whatever's in your heart is going to come out of your mouth. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth will speak. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says this, Do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There has to be an invasion of your heart and there has to be an invasion of your mind. God says, don't look like this world. Have your mind actually be transformed to think differently, to be different, not train it to say different things. Have it actually transformed. Amen. The only way for these things to take place is through invasion. God has to come in and do work that only God can do, healing that only God can do. Transformation that only God can do. What we have to do is figure out how do we allow that to happen? How do we position ourselves to be invaded? So let's look at the first one, which is the mind. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, this is what Paul says. Paul says, I, I also suffer these things, but nevertheless I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep what I've committed to him. That's 2 Timothy 1.12. See, we believe in Jesus. He says, I know who, in whom I have believed. I believe in Jesus. Anybody else say amen? amen. So we believe in Jesus, and he says, and I, and I have faith that he's able to keep what I've committed to him. What have we committed to him? Our lives. So what we say is, I believe in Jesus, and I've committed my life to him. When I got saved, right, 13 years ago now, I believed in Jesus and called out to him and said, help me, save me. And then I committed my life to him. And 13 years later, he still has my life because I committed it to him. I entered into a covenant relationship and marriage with him. So that's what Paul is talking about here. He says, yes, I still suffer, but I'm not ashamed. Why? Because I know who I believe in. 
I'm not wishy-washy. I can't be convinced of something else. I'm not looking uh, to be convinced that he's not real. Somebody else's experience of not being in a personal relationship doesn't sway me. It doesn't persuade me. I'm persuaded that the one I believe in, that I gave my life to, he's able to keep my life. He's able to hold on to me. He's able to usher me into heaven. But here's the key. Listen to what Paul says. He says, I know whom I have believed in, and I am persuaded that he is able. Right? Paul's mind has been invaded. To know and to be persuaded are acts of the mind. Think about it. To know something and to be convinced or persuaded is an act of your mind. How do you know something? You study it. You flush it out. You test it. And then it becomes knowledge. It's something that you know. How are you persuaded? You, you weigh the facts of one side with the facts of the other side. You weigh, you weigh the information that's available to you. And either you're persuaded to believe in something or you're not persuaded to believe in something. Paul says, I know who I believe in and I've been persuaded that he's able. How active is your mind in the kingdom of God? What do you really know this morning? And what have you truly been persuaded of because you've looked at the facts and you've evaluated for yourself and you've looked at the fruit of the decision that you've made? I know the God that I serve and I'm beyond persuaded that he is able. And that's not just because of how I feel and because I decide I want to be a Christian. It's because I'm evaluating the fruit of my decision and I'm looking at the facts and I'm listening to the testimonies of others and comparing that to the testimony that I have of this man that supposedly died for my sins. What do you know? What are you persuaded of? How active is your mind in the kingdom of God this morning? You know, I love what what, uh, Veronica got up here and testified. She said, I was told about women in the Bible I did not know were in there. But now that I've been made aware, I have to go and actually read it for myself so that I can be persuaded as to whether or not these are true stories. I can be persuaded as to whether or not I can apply what these women applied in their lives into my life. And I can be persuaded as to whether or not I will see the same results that these women saw. That's making your mind active in the kingdom of God and in your relationship with God. But many of us, we didn't go home and read those scriptures. We didn't go home and search out who those women are. We haven't said what promises have they held on to, and am I holding on to the same promises? There's no invasion of your mind. Our minds are still connected to the things that were connected to before we got saved. We still spend the same amount of time watching TV, same amount of time reading Cosmo, same amount of time doing whatever it is that we're doing, same amount of time on Facebook. And what happens when you look at Facebook all the time, you get persuaded that that's who those people really are. Because that's what you are giving your mind to. So that's the mind. Let's look at the heart. In Acts chapter 13, verse 22, God says, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. Say heart. Heart. And he will do all my will. I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart who will do all my will. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26, God says, I will give you a new heart, say heart, and I will put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. 
See, this is an invasion into your internal organs and the transplant of an old, dirty, rock-solid, hard heart, taking that out and giving you a new, soft, tender heart of flesh. God says, that's my work. You can't do that. You can fake it and get to the blue level where you look like you got a new heart, but we all know you don't. We all know as soon as you get back into a, a, a pin back into a corner like you were before, that old heart's going to come out and do what it always does and do what it always did. So you try to position yourself so nobody can pin you into a corner, but it's inevitable. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So when you get pinned into a corner, it's not a surprise to me or anybody else when you start saying what you used to say and acting how you used to act and accusing like you used to accuse. But all this time we've been talking, you know, oh, God has done a work and I'm just changed and I feel changed and it's so different. No, 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 there's a transplant that needs to happen. There's an invasion that has to take place. He says, I'll give you a new heart. I'll put a new spirit within you. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 3, <clears throat> says, Clearly, you are an epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, and not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that is of the heart. And we have such trust through Christ towards you. What a wonderful scripture. Paul says, what's been written has not been written with ink on tablets of stone. It's been written by the very spirit of God on the tablets of flesh, the tablet of your actual heart. This isn't something that's external that man has written down that we can look at and try to proclaim. He says, this is something that's internal that only God could do, and it's on your very heart, so we don't have to proclaim it or explain it because you are experiencing it. The greatest times I have like, is, is when I'm talking to somebody and I can just feel the truth of what our conversation is about because I have a personal barometer and level of experience with what they're talking about to know that it's true and to know that it's real. On Thursday, Pastor Allen from Southlands and, and Brea came over here and we sat up in my office for, for a couple hours and it was, it was just so refreshing. We talked about good things, we talked about bad things, but you ever been in one of those conversations where it's like you almost can't wait for them to stop talking because you want to jump in and, and testify too? Like, that's exactly what I'm dealing with. That's exactly what I'm going through. I remember this. I remember that. It's like your hearts are connected. It's like, how can our hearts be connected? Because we've had the same surgeon. We had the same surgeon. You don't have to convince me. I'm already convinced. You don't have to persuade me. I'm already persuaded. You don't have to confirm for me the same thing that you're talking about because it's coming from inside of you and written on your heart. Let me show you. This is where he wrote it on mine. You got to be invaded. You got to have a transplant. Paul says it's written on our hearts. And listen to what it produced when, it, when he says that, hey, this isn't ink on tablets, right? This is the Spirit of God written on your heart. And listen to what that produced, what Paul says uh, in verse 4, it produced trust. Say trust. trust. Paul says we have such trust through Christ toward God. Amen. See, we see the heart as the emotional center of our lives, right? This is where like, 
our love comes from. It's where our feeling comes from. It doesn't matter if it's anger or passion or sadness or joy, right? It's just, it's all in our heart. Somebody say amen. amen. That is definitely true. It, it, it is kind of like the, the housing of all of those emotions, but those emotions are determined by one thing and one thing alone. That's our trust in God. Everything that flows from your heart, all of the emotions that come out of you, all of that, that perspective and, and personality that comes out of you from your heart, it's really determined by one thing, which is whether or not you have your trust in God. All right? We talked about this a little bit on, on Wednesday night as well, right? So if somebody um, comes at me with something or somebody is maybe aggressive or, or accusatory towards me, right? It gets into my heart and my pride rises up and I want to defend myself and I want to make sure that it's made clear who I really am and what I really did, right? But if I trust God, he defends me. It doesn't mean that the emotion's not there. It doesn't mean that my heart doesn't house all of those feelings. What it means is my trust of God will trump or supersede what my emotions and feelings are telling me. So Paul says, because this has been written on your heart... There's great trust that flows out of it. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 13 says, Again, I will, this is God, this is Jesus talking in the first half. Listen, Jesus says, And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, here, I, here am I and the children whom God has given me. And as much then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, Jesus himself also, or excuse me, likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, and that is the devil, and release, say release. Release. Release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Death is the result of not putting our trust in Jesus to give us eternal life. Jesus says, listen, I put my trust in my father, right? And everyone that he gave me, I still have. I've given them life, right? All the children that he has given me, I trust him to give us life. Right? I'm not afraid of death. I'm not bound by death. But then he says, I came to release those who from fear of death have been in bondage their whole life. I'm so afraid of death, I'm so afraid of dying, I'm so afraid of missing out on something that I let the emotions of my heart rule and run me and the decisions that I make. Because it's not God's new heart and it's not his law written on it, it's me and my old heart and my old way of thinking written on it. So because I have these fears, I behave in fear. Because I've been through some experiences that make me sad, I'm a sad person. Because I've been hurt, I have no trust. And I'm unwilling to trust. Jesus says, I came to set you free of that, but you got to put your trust in me and I'll give you a new heart that can trust again. A new heart that's not run by fear. Right? A new heart that's not bound and held prisoner by sadness. I hope it's making sense to you this morning about this invasion of the heart and mind. And can you see how it applies to all the rest of them? If this doesn't happen to you, how can you expect your worldview to really be different? How can you expect to have a biblical worldview and a kingdom vision for the world that you live in? If this hasn't happened to you, how can you expect God to really come in and rule and reign in authority in your home, within your marriage, how you parent, who comes and who doesn't come into that home, and what they're allowed to bring with them? 
if this hasn't really happened in your heart? Still bound by fear. What will they say if I tell them they can't drink here? I'm afraid to tell my family that they can't. Come on now. Have you been invaded? You got a new heart and a new mind that's not bound by those things? Or you still run by fear? So this morning, with the rest of our time, I want to look at a man. And I think we can see that God has invaded his heart and mind and what that really looks like. We can see how he came to know in his mind uh, who Jesus is and how that affected his actual behavior, his actual life. Um, we can see how he, uh, his heart had been transformed. <clears throat> and this new heart that he had was like David, where he says, a man after my own heart. He got the heart of God alive inside of him. And to me, the, the hope and the prayer this morning is that this would be something that we aspire to. Again, with what Veronica testified, we don't just have these women in the Bible so that we can say, look, it's an awesome woman. No, we have them so we can say, look, this is someone that I aspire to be like. These are qualities and characteristics that I want alive in my life. Amen. These are words that I want to speak from my heart. This is a testimony that I want to have in my life. Amen. We look at a woman like uh, Ruth and, and Naomi, and we can say we all got you know, issues with our mother-in-laws. Women can say something like that. Or we can say, look at these women where even after their connection, which was the son who had passed away, the mother, the mother-in-law and the daughter-in-law, they were, they were connected together by God and by love and by relationship. So we can either say, we just, this is the world we live in and this is how it is with me and my mother-in-law. Or we can say, you know what, I want to be like Ruth and Naomi and I will not rest until that's the relationship I have with my mother-in-law. See, it ain't just about learning something and putting it out there. It's about application. If you let your heart be invaded, if you let your mind be invaded, then these things become possible. If not, it'll be year after year after year after testimony after testimony after testimony about the impossibilities that you live with. So let's look at a man who that's not the case for. In Acts chapter 6, verse 1, it says, In those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. All kinds of people are getting saved into this church, right? Um, and they're coming from all different types of background. I love our church and how, how multicultural it is. Just, just throw out real quickly some of our cultures. Where, where, what would you consider yourselves? Throw it out there, please. Cubans. Cubans. Mexicans. Mexicans. Asians, El Salvadorian, African, Armenian, German, Egyptian, Spanish, American, right? So, so just think about this for a second. So when you read the scriptures, it says, listen, the church is growing. The disciples are growing. People are getting saved. And there was a complaint from uh, the Hebrews and the Hellenists. What they were saying is, listen, we all got saved. We all came into the church. We're all paying our tithe. We're all trying to do what God wants us to do. Why is it that the Hellenists, right, the, the Hellenists say, we're not getting bread, supposed to be about God, supposed to be about church. We're all giving our tithe. We all came in believing that we were going to take care of each other. And we're hungry and everybody else is eating. Where's the bread? Could you imagine? We just choose one of those. All right, the Egyptians, uh, we're glad that you're here, but y'all don't get to eat. That's what's actually happening. So listen, 
It says, Then the twelve, the twelve disciples, summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. The twelve disciples who are leading the church are like, Listen, is it a problem that they're not getting bread? Yes, but it's got to be somebody else's problem. Don't we have anybody that can deal with bread distribution? I got to read. I got to pray. I got to look at ministries. We got to plan. We got to have vision. We got to have direction. We got to have series. We got to have things for the youth. We got to have events. We don't have time to be making sure we got the right amount of bread. Amen. You know how many churches are destroyed because of bread distribution? Yep. <laughs> People don't know how to act. People don't know how to share. Amen. People don't know how to not be offended. Amen. So what the church, even in the beginning of the church, God doesn't say that sucks and just like, no, he says, listen, that's going to always be an issue, so make sure you have somebody in charge of bread distribution. It's not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. Isn't that interesting? Somebody might look and say, bread distribution is not a big deal. No, we need men. They have to be good reputation and they have to be filled with the Holy Spirit in order to pass out bread. They need to be men who have good reputation and full of the Holy Spirit to clean the, ch the, the church. Amen. Why? Because it's all ministry. You can't be unholy and be up here playing the drums, playing the guitar, or singing. You can't be unholy and not fill with the Holy Spirit and come into the church on a week-in, week-in and week-out basis and clean the church. You can't be uh, unfilled with the Holy Spirit, right, and have no reputation of goodliness and godliness in your life and go upstairs and try to teach our kids. Amen. It doesn't matter what you're doing for the king you're, or in the kingdom, you're doing it for the king. Then he says, but we, the 12, we're going to give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. When you do those other ministries, do them well. Do them for God and do them with an understanding that by you doing that well, the others can do well, hopefully, what they're supposed to be doing. I could be reading. I could be praying. I could be trying to get uh, revelation and vision and understanding from God to share with his people Yesterday we had a wedding here. A bunch of women stayed late and prepared the church after 31 status on Friday for yesterday's wedding. And then when everybody left, Mary and I and Miss Peaches, we stayed here and we cleaned the church. It didn't look like this, like it does this morning. It looked like there was a bunch of people here that don't go to church here for a wedding. <laughs> and we cleaned it. And it, it's not a big deal. We've, we've always loved to care for God's house. And we consider it a privilege that we could even be able to be in this place with nobody watching us. <laughs> to be able to even clean it. It was wonderful, you know? But at the same time, it also reminded me what a, what a blessing it is to have Jen and the cleaning crew who come in and do that on a week in and week out basis so that I can prepare to preach. Amen. This, 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 this thing right here is not old and it's not outdated and it's not like these stories that are far removed from us, it's real. In the base, most simple things of life, like bread distribution and cleaning of the church, it's real. And the most highly uh, uh, spiritual things, like regeneration, salvation, and being born again, baptized with the Holy Spirit, it's just as real and just as applicable to our lives. If, if your heart and mind have been invaded. Okay. 
We'll give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Permanus, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and, they, and when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. Then the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith, and Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. You want to see a church grow? Have good ministry leaders doing their job. Listen to what it said. Because they led, because they were identified by the group, because there were hands laid on them after they were prayed over, and because they did what they were supposed to be doing for God, what it says is many people got saved and were added to the church, and the priests were obedient to the word. Then it says, this man, Stephen, he's the first one it mentioned that they chose. In verse 5, they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. And in verse 8, it says, Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. I wonder how many of us will not volunteer to clean because in all reality, we think it's maybe a little bit beneath us. Or we think it's not a, a valuable use of your Saturday morning at 6 or 7 in the morning. Or we think that it's not really a high place in the things of God. But how, how wonderful is it to read the Bible and say that this man that did amazing things, his ministry started in bread distribution. He wasn't on the worship team. He wasn't the children's church director. He wasn't uh, leading financial peace at his house. He was in charge of making sure that every group of people that were in the church got the same amount of bread. But he had to be filled with the Holy Spirit to do it, and God gave him power that he did great wonders and signs among all the people. So let's look at this man, Stephen. We're going to look at the end of his life. Read through a couple scriptures here. So the story goes on from there, verse 9 of Acts chapter 6. So this is where Stephen is, and this is what he's doing, and he's doing wonders, and he's distributing bread, and he's full of the Holy Spirit, full of power, doing wonders, doing signs. He's just a man in the church, just like you're just a man or a woman in the church. Verse 9 says, But then there arose some from what is called the synagogue of the freedmen, which are Syrians, or excuse me, Cyrenians, Alexandrians, and those from Cilicia and Asia, disputing with Stephen, Right? How many of you have realized as soon as you start really serving God, really getting into his word, really being used for ministry, everybody that thinks they're spiritual comes out of the woodworks from other religions and from other churches. What are you doing? How are you doing it? Who's your pastor? What's the name of your church? This is how we do it. This is how the Orthodox do it. This is how the Mormons do it. Everybody wants to talk to you. When you weren't doing anything, nobody had anything to say to you. And now that you're like Stephen, moving in authority and moving in power, and people are getting saved, and lives are getting changed, then everybody wants to talk about something. It says that they came disputing with Stephen in verse 9. Verse 10, they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. You better have some wisdom and some spirit. How do you get that? Let your heart and your mind be invaded and exercise your mind. Actually use it. 
Otherwise, when these people come against you, you will be uh, wishy-washy, double-minded, and go astray because you don't really have any knowledge. You don't really have any wisdom. The testimony should be when they come at you, they walk away like, dang, man, I can't really dispute that power, that spirit, and that wisdom, though. I may not like them. I may not like what they're doing. I may not agree with their church, but I cannot deny that there's power and wisdom within that person. They were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which Stephen spoke. Verse 11, then they secretly induced men to say, we've heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes, and they came upon Stephen, seized him and brought him to the council. They also set up false witnesses who said, this man does not cease to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and against the law. For we've heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs which Moses delivered to us. If that doesn't sound familiar to you, you must not have been here on Wednesday night because it's the exact same story that we heard about Jesus. What did they accuse Jesus of? They said he speaks blasphemy. He said he's going to destroy this temple and raise it up again in three days. It's the same story. We just saw it on Wednesday night. False witnesses, right? Didn't they call a bunch of false witnesses against Jesus? And what does it say with Stephen? They did the same thing. They called false witnesses to testify that he was doing something. And then accusations of blasphemy. We learned on Wednesday night that that's what Jesus was crucified for, for blasphemy. Something extremely um, uh, offensive or sacrilegious. That's what blasphemy means. We learned that on Wednesday night, right? And that's what they said Jesus did. It was extremely offensive because he said, I have the nature of God. I am the only son of God. And it was sacrilegious because he said, you have to get your salvation through me. And here's Stephen now on trial, and they're saying the same thing. What you've said about this Jesus is sacrilegious and offensive. goes on in verse uh, 1 of chapter 7, Acts 7, verse 1. Then the high priest said to Stephen, are these things so? Have you been saying these things? Have you been acting this way? Have you been posting about this Christian church you go to? Are you saying that Jesus is the only way? Are you saying that there's only one religion? Are you saying that there's only one way to heaven or hell? That Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. Have you been saying these things? Is it true? If nobody's asking you those questions, you haven't said enough. Help me, Lord. Because they're asking Stephen. The high priest said, are these things so? And he said, brethren and fathers, listen. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Haran and said to him, get out of your country and from your relatives and come to a land that I'll show you. Stop there, verse 3. Stephen goes from Acts chapter 7, verse 3 to Acts chapter 7, verse 52, telling the whole testimony of everything that God has done from the day he called Abraham to the day that Jesus was crucified. If you want to know how to testify and talk about what the gospel is and who God is and what he's done to give us salvation, read Acts chapter 7, verse 1 through 52, and you'll have a pretty good idea. He talks about everything. And at the end of verse 52, he says, and that's when you guys crucified Jesus. <laughs> he calls them betrayers and murderers. 
They started off saying, is it true that you said this Jesus is going to destroy the temple and, and usher in something different than Moses and the law? And then he goes all the way through and says, yes, it's true. And here's how it started. Here's the middle. Here's the end. And it just recently ended when you guys killed him. And then here's the culmination this morning of the impact of having your heart and mind invaded by God. What it should look like in the life of a believer Acts chapter 7, verse 54. Stephen tells him all this stuff. In verse 54, it says, When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed at him with their teeth. Remember I said when you get pinned into a corner, like whatever's in your heart's going to come out. You're going to act how you always act. You're going to say what you always say. You're going to behave how you always behave. Look it. Stephen has pinned them into a spiritual corner. Many of us have been pinned into corners, not only spiritually, but physically, uh, emotionally, relationally. And they get pinned into the corner. It says that it cut them to their hearts. And in their hearts, right, that emotional center, what it caused them to do was gnash back at him. To grit their teeth and say, what? How dare you talk about me like that? How dare you talk about how I've invested my life and how I've lived my life and how I run the church or the relationship that I'm in or the job that I work or the friends that I have or who lives in my house? How dare you do that? You cut me to the heart, I'm going to gnash back at you. That's what they do to Stephen. Gnash at him with their teeth in verse 54, then verse 55, but he, Stephen, being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. What do you do when you're under attack? What do you do when you're accused? What do you do when people grit their teeth and you see that this isn't just some kind of accidental aggressiveness or abrasive behavior towards you? This is directed at you specifically and intentionally, right? I, you see them coming at you. You see them aggressively. You see them trying to hurt you. You see them trying to hurt your family. What does it say that Stephen does? Being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. Amen. Says he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God and said, now this, listen, look at, picture these people coming at him, aggressively angry, cut to the heart, emotionally unstable. And he says to them, look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. He's not even concerned with what they're saying, how they're saying it, how they feel, what they're going to do to him. Man, look, I see God. I see Jesus at his right hand. Look, look at this. You guys are missing it because your hearts haven't been invaded, because your minds haven't been invaded. You guys are supposed to be the church, but you don't see what I see and you don't feel what I feel. Verse 57, then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, and ran at him with one accord, and they cast him out of the city, and they stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. They stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. They stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. See, the knowledge of God and who he is had transcended anything that Stephen could experience here as a man. 
and in the physical world. See if that makes sense to you this morning. He's being stoned to death. It doesn't get any worse than that. He's already been accused. He's already been um, um, imprisoned. He's already been lied on. And now he's actually being killed for his faith, right? But think about this for a second. It's the knowledge in his head about who God is that has him crying out, God, I know that what I'm experiencing physically right now has nothing to do with who you are. That's the mind talking. Does that make sense? That ain't the heart or the emotions or your feelings talking. Your mind is saying, man, I'm being accused and I'm right. I'm being abused and I haven't done anything wrong. I'm actually going to lose my life right now. But it has nothing to do with what I know to be true. You're God. It doesn't matter that I have cancer. You're God. It doesn't matter that my loved ones have passed away. You're God. It doesn't matter that I lost my job. You're God. It doesn't matter that I'm lonely. Why? Because I know and I have been persuaded of who you are. It's not a hypothetical. It's not a possibility. I am certain of who you are in my uncertain circumstances. He's had a a mind transplant. His mind has been invaded in a way that many of us, if we're honest, would probably have to say ours have not. How much time do we spend thinking about our circumstances and our situations on a weekly basis? And how easily persuaded to be trustless and faithless do we become? Remember 2 Timothy 1.12? Paul says, listen, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I'm persuaded that he is able to keep what I've committed to him. Paul's also going to be killed like this. Paul is the Saul in the story we're reading that when they're murdering Stephen, they lay their clothes down at, Paul, at Saul's feet and say, hey, watch this stuff because we're about to go stone this dude to death. And he's like, all right, cool, no problem. Later on, he becomes the same follower of a man that he saw stoned to death, yeah. a follower just like him of this Jesus, knowing what that's going to result in is him eventually being killed and murdered the same way. And what does he say? I'm, I'm not ashamed. I know who I believe in. What I'm ashamed of is that I stood there and watched Stephen be stoned to death when I should have done something about it. It's the same heart and the same mind that when, uh, when Nebuchadnezzar says, if you don't bow down and worship me, you're going to be killed. And, and the men say, listen, God can save us. But even if he doesn't, We ain't going to bow down to you. Why? Because we know who God is. And it doesn't matter if we die or not. If he doesn't save us, it doesn't mean he's not real. Man, he's so good. We need to have our minds invaded. We see the trust of his heart also here, though, right? He says, receive my spirit. Stephen says, receive my spirit. God, I'm about to die, and I know this is happening. I know my experience is my mind. It doesn't change who you are, but my trust is also in you because my heart belongs to you. Just take me home. Receive me. Receive my spirit, Lord. Verse 60, he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And he said this, and he fell asleep. See, this is not the heart of a mere man. 
This is the heart of God within a man. To be being stoned to death. And what is he saying? Don't charge this to them. Don't put this on their account. Don't judge them for what they're doing to me right now, God. I seem to remember somebody else saying something along the lines of, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do when he was being crucified. Can you see that they have the same heart? Can you see that the heart of Stephen doesn't even exist anymore and the heart of Christ lives inside of him? Even in the most difficult situations and circumstances of his whole life while he's being stoned, he doesn't even just keep it and take it silently trying to be tough. He opens his mouth in pain and agony, but the heart, uh, the, the words that came out of his mouth came from the heart that was in him, which was Christ's heart. He said the same thing. Don't judge them. Forgive them for they know not what they do. Help them. Save them. Don't avenge me. Heal them. It's very, very difficult, church, but I want to encourage you. <clears throat> I feel like as I try to develop, I guess, this heart, the heart of God, to have it alive inside of my life, what I've come to realize is that it's very hard to find a group of people who can encourage you to develop that heart. We are surrounded by more people inside of the church and definitely outside of the church that want to keep you with that old heart, Amen. that want to tell you you deserve better, that want to tell you not to forgive, that want to tell you don't look in the mirror, look at them and who they are and why they're wrong. It's so hard to find somebody who would say, listen, have you been hurt? Yeah, me too. Let's pray that God would give us the heart that he had when he was hurt. Let's see if we can just forgive like crazy with these people. Let's see if we could just keep trusting and believing. Let's see if we can just have the hope of God that even in the worst things that happen to us, you call me, I'll call you, and let's just believe that God's going to do something. Amen. Who you know like that? And who are you that person for? Oh, Lord, invade our hearts, invade our minds, and give us your heart. Give us your mind. Isaiah, would you come? <clears throat> So on the way to church this morning, I had a vision of our hearts and of our minds being um, invaded. So I don't tell you guys this often, so you might want might to listen. Had this vision of our hearts and of our minds being invaded, and I saw something like our DNA. If, if you've ever seen one of those shows or documentaries or you, know, you watch the Health Channel, Doctor's Channel, whatever it is, you see this strand of, of DNA, right? Let me turn down just a little bit. You see the strand of DNA and it's going in all these circles. It has all these letters and we don't really know what all that stuff means. We just know it's super, super complicated, right? And what I saw is we were seeking God with all of our hearts and we were seeking God with, with all of our minds and all of a sudden these codes began to be unlocked. And we began to have access to things that God had written on our hearts and minds. So picture this strand of DNA, right? And then picture a group of people and they're seeking God. They're like, we're giving you all of our hearts. We're giving you all of our minds. We're reading, we're praying, we're, we're coming after you. And then all of a sudden you'd see like four or five letters just highlight, right? And then somewhere else on the strand, four or five letters would just highlight. 
And then all these codes began to just be opened up and it was like these things that are written on our hearts and things that are written on our mind, when we begin to seek God with all of our hearts and our minds, it just becomes clear. It's like you couldn't get there before, but now that you're seeking with all of your heart and your mind and he's beginning to do these things, it's, it's like it was already there, but it be, you become aware of it. See, I believe that it's through actively thinking and actively feeling that the things of God are open to us. Our faith is not a passive faith. Like, you got to really think about God and think about the things of God. you got to really feel and test your heart like, oh, how do I really feel about this? God, how do you feel about this? On Wednesday, we talked about this, right? Like, we could find ourselves in a group that's on the wrong side of the issue because we don't say, God, how do you feel about this? And why does my heart feel differently? If you just think and you just pray, God will show you, this is what I think, and this is how I feel. And then you have to hold up your heart and say, oh, this is how I think, and this is how I feel. Where's the, there's tension here. Which one's going to win? In many ways, obedience is about saying, yes, Lord, I see what you think, and I see how you feel. I see what I think, and I see how I feel. I don't think differently, and I don't feel differently, but I sure do know how to be obedient. Right? I don't have to think it and feel it to do what's right. And you know what God says as he begins to open up these, uh, these codes within our hearts and these codes within our minds? What he's saying is, now I can make you feel it. Now I can make you think it. Now I can do a heart transplant. Now I can transform your actual mind. Hebrews 5.14 says, Solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. you got to use your mind. you got to use your heart. You have to actually exercise these things in a spiritual way, and then you will gain understanding and gain discernment and gain new feelings. you got to exercise it if you want to see the gains. <laughs> I was talking to one of the men in the church, been in the gym. I ain't going to tell you who, Junior, but you see the gains. You see the gains. Why? Not just because he said, I want to be healthy, I want to be strong. You have to actually go to the gym and exercise. Yet we think it's going to be different in our faith. You want the heart of God? You want the mind of God? Exercise it. These courses that people are going to be showing up to on, on Saturday and they've been doing in the app, they're not just a fun thing to do. They're not just something cool so we can say we got courses out the way. It's exercising your mind in a spiritual way so that things would be unlocked that you would have discernment and understanding and knowledge of in your walk with God. When I preach about reading the word of God and praying, it's because it's spiritual exercise, not just because I want to tell you something and judge you. Well, I read and I pray, but you don't read and you don't pray, so I'm better than you and you're worse. No, I want you to exercise so that God can open things up to you. I want you to be able to look back like we can do in this church and say 10 years ago we did John and we thought we were like cutting edge and God was doing so much. 10 years later we're doing Matthew. We're like, God, why don't we understand more? In your own walk with God, you should be there. Man, I remember reading Romans and, and now when I'm reading it, what was I thinking before? Because I see a whole lot more now. Exercise. Devotionals. Fellowship, 
I didn't pay Veronica to get up here today and say, you know what, I've only made two of these this year. But I sure do feel like I need to make more of them next year. Why? Because through exercise, even in making number two of the year, just exercising a little bit, I can already see the impacts in the last two days. I see the gains. <laughs> the more we do these things, the more of your spiritual DNA is activated. There's codes that just need to be unlocked and unlocked and unlocked and unlocked. But you got to do some exercise to see the gains. Let's look at it like this and we're going to close. The invasion of your heart and mind. Say invasion. invasion. It took place a long time ago if you're a believer. Just think about it like this. But all the blessings and all the gifts, they have to be activated or initiated. They're all buried in your heart and buried in your mind, but they have to be unearthed. And when, it, when that does happen, you'll see amazing transformation. It's not me telling you, think about it like this. I'm not saying that go external and find these things and then they become yours. What I'm saying is God says he already wrote them on your heart and he already wrote them on your mind. But when you go through this book, they become activated. It's written in a code that you can't read until you get the code book. And then when you get the code book, you'll be like, oh God, where did that come from? I wrote it on your heart. Oh God, where did that thought come from? I wrote it on your mind. Thank you for exercising. So now it's activated. Now it's available. Now you have it as your own. I've already invaded. I put it in there. We all have it. There's no difference between your pastor and you. There's no difference between the most spiritual woman you know and the least spiritual, newly saved. It's already been invaded. God says, I'll write it on your heart. I'll write it on your mind. It's in there, but you got to activate it. There's so many believers that they get saved, but they never exercise. And everything stays dormant in their hearts. Everything stays dormant in their mind. And that old heart reigns and rules from a place of fear rather than a place of trust. And that old mind reigns and rules from a place of ignorance instead of a place of knowledge and wisdom. In Matthew 13, 44, Jesus, say Jesus. Jesus. Listen to this. Jesus says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid. And for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. Jesus himself says, listen, this is what heaven's like. A man finds a treasure and he says, oh, my God. Look at this. He buries it. He sells everything he has. He says, uh, I need to buy that field. He buys the field and he takes, he takes ownership of all that treasure. So see if you can receive this this morning. God says that he has written or hidden some amazing treasure in your heart. Some amazing treasure in your mind. And then he says... He leaves heaven or sells his position in heaven to come to earth and buy you. He sold everything. He said, I'm God. I'm holy. I'm righteous. I'm on the throne. But I will give up my position in heaven to come and buy you. Whom I've placed a treasure within. The treasure's in you. 
I want the treasure and I want you to be in heaven with me, so I gotta sell everything else I have in order to get this. First Corinthians 6.20 says this, you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which belong to God. You were bought at a price. Why did he buy you? Because you're treasure. What kind of treasure? Not what you see in the mirror, it's inside of you. You're bought at a price. Activate the things that God put into your heart. Activate the things that God put into your mind. Don't waste your life here ignorant. And don't waste your life here with an old, rotten, hard heart. God has so much more for us. Let's stand. Let's pray. <clears throat> Hallelujah, Lord. <clears throat> Jesus, Jesus. Oh, you cried out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Lord, we see Stephen asking you, do not charge them with this atrocity, Lord, as he's stoned to death, Lord. We see time after time, men and women willing to suffer, Lord, in this life because they've come to know who you are and what you've promised about the next life, Lord God. They are not without pain. They are not without trial. They are not without tribulation, Lord God. But what they know supersedes what they're experiencing, God. Your word says that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, Lord. Our words will either confirm us as yours or confirm that we're not. Our words betray us, as the world would say, Lord God. But they confirm that we haven't betrayed you, and that's what matters most, Lord. We're not ashamed of your gospel. We want to be men and women of power. We want to be men and women who see the, the simplest of tasks within your kingdom, Lord God, as wonderful and magnificent opportunities to be of service to you, God. We believe and we understand that doing something as small as bread distribution can activate something inside of us that gives us authority and gives us power and allows us to impact the lives of those that we care about, Lord. Your word is faithful. Your word is true. It's not hypothetical or made-up stories that teach us life lessons, Lord God. It's the book that activates all the treasure that you've written on our hearts, that you've written on our minds, Lord God. You've gone before, before we even knew who you were and what you were doing, Lord, and you've stored up treasure within each and every one of us. Remind us of all the places in your word where people came face to face with you, Lord God, the same way that I did 13 years ago when I simply asked, help me, come into my life, save me, forgive me for what I've done. You were faithful that day, Lord. Two days later, you confirmed that I had been forgiven, that I had been saved, that I had been born again. I know the one in whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that you are able to keep what I've committed to you until you bring me back home, Lord God. Here in this place this morning, Lord, if there are any who have not called out to you, Lord,
who have not said, save me, help me, forgive me, wash me clean, forgive me of my, my sins, let me be born again, let me start over, help me if there is any help for me, Lord God. Right now, here in this place, if that's you, you're not saved, you've never asked the simple word, save me, raise your hand. I want to be saved, I want to be forgiven, I want to be washed clean, I want to start over, I want to be made new, anybody this morning. Hallelujah, Lord. For the rest of us, if you need an invasion of your heart, you need an invasion of your mind, you want to see the things that you see in the scripture begin to take place in your life, you need to go maybe from just knowing that you don't have the heart of God or the mind of God, and you just want to learn how to be obedient because you do know what he wants, you do know what he says, and you find it hard just to do those things, would you come forward so that we could pray? My heart and my mind, they don't align with yours, Lord, but I can be obedient. Give me the strength to do what I know is right, even though I don't feel it and even though I don't want to do it. Give me the strength to do that. Maybe that's you. Would you come? If you're here... And you want to go beyond that. You've been in a place maybe of obedience where you're doing all the right things, but it hasn't transferred into a place where you feel the right things and you truly desire the right things. And you have an overwhelming, Lord, just passion for righteousness. You're doing the right things. You've stopped doing some of the wrong things, but your heart has not truly been transformed yet. Your mind has not truly been transformed yet. You would be lying if you said the heart of God is alive and powerful within you. It's okay. Don't be afraid of that. Just come and pray. Obedience is that blue line. You can only go so far, but if you allow him to come in, you can get to that green area on the graph where it just takes off and he begins to move and he begins to do things. Lord, we pray for those who want the strength to be obedient. They see the contrast between what they want and what they do compared to what you want and what you would have them to do. We pray for strength, Lord. Let them just do the right thing. Let them be obedient. Thank God for opening their eyes enough to see what you say and how it differs from what they say, Lord. Give them strength. For the rest who are here this morning that would say they've learned to be obedient, they've learned to be Christian, they've learned to go to church, they've learned how not to do the things that they used to do, but they wanted to go beyond behavior and become their real heart, their real mind. They want your heart, Lord. They want your mind. Would you bless them this morning? Do a heart transplant. You said you would. We're not asking for anything that you haven't said. You said you'll enter into covenant. You'll write it on their hearts. You'll write it on their minds. You'll take the heart of stone. You'll put in a heart of flesh. These are your promises, God. Give them to us. Give them to us, Lord. And if you're here, but you're not at the altar yet, and you feel like God is telling you, you got to exercise. You got to exercise. It won't just happen. You have to read. You have to pray. You have to go to women's events. You have to go to men's events. You have to do these things. Exercise, and I will open up the things that are, that are buried. I will unearth them. The treasure that I place in your heart and in your mind, I will give you those codes and unlock those things. If you know you're not exercising, but you need to, come down here so that we can pray. God, take us to your gym. God, get us healthy. God, make us fit. God, help us to overcome the fatigue. Help us overcome the worries and stresses of this life and of this world where we're too tired. we got to exercise. 
Unlock these things in our life, Lord. Give us your spiritual disciplines. Tell us. You said, meditate on my word day and night. Not just because it sounds good, but because it has to happen. Lord, for those who are here, help them to exercise. They've exercised their faith to even get out of their seat and walk to the altar, Lord God. Or they've stayed in their seat and they're not exercising. Those who have walked, those who have come, those who have said, today is my day. Help us, God. We need to exercise. We need to get healthy, Lord. Unlock these things for us. These are our inheritance. They belong to us, Lord God. We're not asking for things that don't belong to us. You made the promises. You hid it within us. You bought us out of price. You died for our sins that we could have life. Lord, help us to trust you. We know and we're persuaded. We believe that we can have these things. Not because of who we are, but because who you are, God. We love you in this place, Lord. We thank you that you would come and stir the waters, Lord. We thank you that you just ask us, what is it that we really want in this life? My last prayer, Lord, is for everybody here in this place that we would find those who would encourage us to live like you live, to love like you love, to speak like you speak, to forgive like you forgive, Lord, to help like you help, to humble ourselves like you humbled yourself, Lord God. Make us those people and surround us with those people, Lord. We come against anybody who would tell us that we deserve more. We come against anybody that would tell us that we deserve better, Lord God. We want to be like you. We know we deserve the best, but we expect to go through trial and tribulation here. We expect to have to forgive 70 times 7. We expect people to fall short, Lord God. And we will not, Lord, behave like we used to. We want to be like you. We want to be like Stephen, Father God. Give us your heart. Give us your mind here in this place, Lord. We give you all the glory. We give all you, you all the praise. We give you all the honor, Lord God. We're grateful, Lord, that we can even be in this place this morning, God. Nothing will separate us from your love. You said you lose none. You lose none, Lord. We love you. We thank you this morning. We praise you and we honor you. In the precious name of Jesus, amen. Amen, amen. We're going to worship but you're released. I was nowhere you came to my rescue. From the grave I've been raised. When I needed a savior to save me, Jesus, you made a way. listening. The Way would love you to visit our church at 451 West Lambert Road, Suite 204 in the city of Brea. Our service times are Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. and Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. For more information, please visit our website at www.thewaybrea.com or you can download our church app by visiting your app store and searching The Way Brea. Be blessed.